0: Welcome to Rates and Barrels episode 104. It is Tuesday, June 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We move to the NL East as we continue to revisit players on each team that we might have previously overlooked or simply found some new interesting things to talk about in recent weeks. Before we get there, unfortunately, you know, we have to start with some of the uncertainty about the 2020 MLB season On Monday, the commissioner's office told the Major League Baseball Players Association that it will not move forward and set a schedule unless the union waives its right to claim that management violated their March agreement. And Monday kind of turned into one of the darkest days I can recall on baseball Twitter. People were kind of expecting that Rob Manfred would come out and announce something in the neighborhood of a 50-game season. After the players uh, rejected a proposal over the weekend and concluded their statement that accompanied the rejection with it's time to get back to work. Tell us when and where instead Manfred came out and said that he couldn't tell us that there would 100% be a 2020 season just five days after saying basically the exact opposite thing during uh, MLB draft week. So here we are. Things seem terrible. And yet, with fresh eyes today, I don't think they're quite as bad as we all thought yesterday. Even though things are bad, we're not really actually at zero season just yet.
1: No, no, I know I was gonna, I was gonna get my fart gun out, but uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's always there when you don't want it, when you need it. Um, you know the uh, the thing with. Where we stand now, um, you know there, there, I think there have actually been some important concessions. Um, you know, I pointed out that players moved further in terms of total outlay. They went from two point eight billion to two point two, where the owners went from one point two to one point five, basically. Um, but uh, on a percentage basis, someone's pointed out that's uh, that's uh, similar. But it also ignores the fact that players were willing to do an expanded postseason. Uh, I don't know if everyone's familiar with how players are paid in the postseason, but it's a percentage of gate, uh, which is and it's only uh, a percentage of gate basically off of the first three games. It has something to do with um, you know if, it, if the series goes long, that's good for the owners, sort of deal. Um, in case expanded postseason is a de facto pay cut because it means more time playing when they're not paid, um, and yes, they do get a bonus, but they're not paid in in the traditional sense of the word. So, I think the players have given a little bit more. They've put a, expanded postseason on the on the on the on the thing, and then obviously this waiver that Manfred came out and said. Uh, that the owners can't go forward without a waiver. Um, I thought it was a waiver with regard to suing them about COVID. uh, But Ken Rosenthal's most recent reporting is that they want the players to sign away their right to file a grievance, Um, in which case an arbitrator could later uh, decide that baseball owed, um, owed the players more money. Um... If that's the waiver, I doubt the owners get that without a significant concession. So if they move to something like 65 games prorated, full prorated, maybe they can get that waiver signed. But um, the fact is their stance is they want to continue negotiating. Whether or not you believe that is a real stance or it's just a way to... Uh, keep the ball rolling until a 50-game season seems uh, like an okay outcome. I mean, that was one thing that came up. I had a few conversations with the players yesterday, and one thing that came up was was with, okay, so are they going to announce a 52-game se- season tomorrow? No, because that would be so obvious. Right, because
0: if you do the math and think about, and Trevor Bauer had a thread about this, but if you yeah. if you start to look at when the season would start and when it would end with a 50- 50 or 52-game season, you can't start it right now. It it would end earlier than usual, and it would prove the Players Association's point that the league didn't max out the number of games possible in what was left time-wise for this season.
1: Right, so it's possible that this whole deal about the waiver or whatever is just more stalling until they can say, okay, fine, uh, well, there's only room in the schedule for 50 games, so let's let's get going. But uh, And uh, 50 games, that would be an unfortunate outcome, I think, for fantasy players. Uh, for just fans, um, I guess it would be a little bit and a little bit as better than nothing. So I don't necessarily think that the most likely outcome is zero games this season. So I guess that's, that's a source of optimism. Maybe I'm agreeing with you on that. But the 50-game season has its own problems because, you know, I did a piece on legitimacy of a season based on how many games were in it. Or how much do you know about how good a team is based on how many games they've played? And there's a large gap between 50 and 70. Uh, in fact, by the time you get to 70 games, you know as much about the future quality of a team as you can probably know. So it's interesting because
0: you can learn a lot about the quality of a team in that sample, but you could still have pretty odd things happening with records and stats mm. in that window, despite that, right? I mean, we can we can effectively measure how good a team is and, and look at something like a Pythagorean record against an actual record, and sometimes you you have these pretty significant outliers.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, and sometimes it's just the way that a season goes because you know we're we're accustomed to it being such a long season. There are times when uh, there's a rabbit who gets out to a twenty game lead and starts resting players. Um, You know, that definitely happens in the last couple weeks of September uh, where you could have a juggernaut basically go 500 or less uh, just because they're playing all their AAA guys and resting all their stars. So there's definitely uh, weird things that happen on the edges. Uh, but I think that 70 like, stood out as a significant um, increase in information over 50. And uh, in the fantasy section, uh, in the fantasy side of the world, I think that there has been a line drawn in the sand around 50. Uh, we all got an email. Anybody that was involved in the NFPC got an email last week that basically said that if it was going to be a 50-game season, they may, not, uh, they may just uh, pull the plug on the, on the fantasy season when it comes to the NFPC. Uh, if it's more, then maybe maybe they'll actually have it. So uh, they're still debating what they're gonna do, but I think that's a significant bellwether for me because uh, it, you know, basically what the owners want is as much postseason as little regular season as they can get. The problem is the smaller the postseason the regular season gets, the the less people believe in the postseason and want to watch it the less people think it's a significant season. And so therefore the NFBC drawing the line of 50, uh, 50, may not matter in terms of brass taxes, you know, you know, NFBC contributes this much to our bottom line uh, for baseball ownership, but it may be a sort of uh, test of the significance of a 50 game season. And uh, maybe someone somewhere is reading about how, uh, you know, 50 games is not really uh, a season. Yeah, I, I
0: I think we've talked about this from a how much would you know, play compared to your normal entry fees with a season that's that much shorter than a normal season, and I came down. I think it was twenty five percent is where I put the the difference. I mean, like, if and
1: I'd be higher. Uh, maybe it's because of our separate perceptions of how much luck there is in a regular season. Uh, but uh, I to me uh entries are kind of sunk costs. I'm not gonna try and claw back anything I guess the question is also how much would you be willing to give to a new league going forward yeah, right that's yeah
0: it'd be it'd be more like that like it, yeah. I, I I'd not signed up for n f b c leagues other than draft and hold stuff when things stopped and whereas like back in March, I was thinking, yeah, you know what I probably will like put together the money and and go back into the main event. Now there's zero chance that I'm doing that. Like I I'm not going that high. Will I play something yeah. like the online championship at three fifty? Yes. I think that's more in line with what that's I would top out at doing. And that's what I season. have on the table right now. Yeah. I did an you, online you, championship. Yeah. You did one back in end of February, early March, so
1: And I'm not like three fifty, I'm not like uh gonna bang down the doors. Like I'd rather just throw that in the pot and see what happens in a fifty game season, you know? Um a lot of the guys that I drafted that were hurt uh, suddenly look a lot better. <laughs> but, um, in any case, uh, I'm I, like I've, I've still hoping for like a 65-game season um, that basically the players agree to sign the waiver for more games. And, that, and I think that's partially what Manfred was trying to say, is that they wanted to continue to negotiate. So maybe somebody's offer will get better. Has to, right? I mean, they, they can't really not have
0: a season. If it doesn't happen because of the pandemic and, and second wave of COVID, okay. I mean, like, that's in the range of outcomes that I feel like we as people can understand and accept. But if it doesn't happen because they can't work it out, that is going to cause so much more damage to the game. Uh, in the short and term, especially I, long term, I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth on this. I think the thing that I, I think is different compared to the last time there was a work stoppage in baseball. I mean, there's a lot more you can do with your time in 19 now now compared to 1994. There are plenty of other entertainment options. The way the winter
1: sports are playing, like it, it's very different environment. And even on the sport level, like uh, soccer is rising. You know. Um there are there are even there are even more sports to watch now. Um in a, in a, in terms of American league sports, you know. Um and uh uh you know th- there is though uh there was a definite effect. You can see it in the you know who calls baseball their best their favorite sport. There was a graph from 538. There's definitely a spike down in 1994. Um, so there are definite short-term things, but the long-term trend is clear on baseball that it's uh, falling behind and that soccer is about to pass it, um, so I don't know how much urgency that puts in their game, and then the last thing uh, to say about it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying that the players haven't given anything, uh, they're, they're, the prorata, they have, they haven't they have stepped off of prorated uh, salaries, and I can understand that line of thinking. However, um, it suggests to me that, that the person who says that thinks that the only thing that players have to give in this situation is to give up on prorated. And I would suggest that if you think that, you should think about what that means. Because uh, players have very little leverage when it comes to uh, conversations, when it comes to you know a new labor agreement there's going to be a new labor agreement next year so uh, you know the only things that they have basically that are major leverage that could do anything to say double the minimum salary or less than uh, less than the, the years of fewer years of arbitration those big asks that they want the only big gives they have are salary cap mm-hmm. uh pension and in this particular case, uh, prorated uh, salaries. Those are the only gives they have. So, if you're saying the players haven't given anything, and then you're saying this is the only thing they have to give, isn't there a little bit of a like a, a paradox or a contradiction, or at least like a you're not seeing the you're not seeing the forest for the trees sort of situation here? You're like, they the players haven't given anything. They only have one thing to give. Hmm. They haven't given the only thing they have to give. It's just kind of an absurd argument. Do you really blame them? I don't know how
0: people do. I, I yeah. really don't. I, I think it's a failure to understand the incredible wealth of people who own major league teams and to be bothered and outraged by that. That's where your anger should be. That's where your frustration should be. Those are the people who are keeping this from getting done right now.
1: The stuff that they do, the BAM, BAM, real estate, you know, the the secondary stuff that they do that is not included in their, you know, what the Chicago Cubs make. All the the sort of secondary stuff that they're doing um, is enough to float them. Some teams will lose $5 million this year if they, if they just started playing now and you know, not exactly now, but if they did like a 80 game prorated season, which they still can manage, if they did that, some teams would lose. I I think in a real level after the real estate and all that of the stuff would really lose maybe five to $10 million. And we're talking about billionaires owning these entities and we're like, there's losses everywhere. So why are we talking about those five to $10 million in losses? Um, when like the typical player is 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 choosing between an offer where they can make 350,000 or they can make 380,000. Yeah. It's crazy, right? The best
0: summary of this whole situation, I think, came from an agent Joel Wolf. I saw this tweet going around on Monday. Uh, The Marlins played without fans for 15 years, yet still managed to give a player the biggest contract in sports history, John (laughs) Carlos Stanton, and then sold the team for a billion-dollar profit with five competing buyers. I mean, the Marlins and the Royals have each sold recently at a billion dollars or more.
1: Oh, yeah. There's there's the the equity question, too. Yeah, lose $5 million this year and still sell it for $2 billion in two years. Yeah. Right. So... um,
0: yeah, your your five million million loss on a on an asset worth north of a billion. Um, sorry, I, I'm not I'm not buying yeah. that. I'm not I'm not feeling sorry for you at all, ever. Yeah, yeah. So that's the state of things. Summary: I don't think it's quite as bleak right now as it seemed on Monday night. And uh, yes, the 2021 CBA, which is going to be horrible anyway from a negotiating standpoint. That's That looks even worse, but I think, pandemic permitting, I think we still do get a season in 2020. Let's move on to our NL East series. Let's start with the defending World Series champions because, you know, it was fun watching baseball uh, last fall. Howie Kendrick. Let's talk about Howie Kendrick for a minute because he is a stat cast darling. But he's old, so he's cheap. And all all it comes down to now is playing time. And as I think about what a shortened season would look like, the players who I might be worried about physically breaking down over 162, I think they're less of an injury risk in 50 or 55 or 60. So Hmm. I'm very curious to get your thoughts on, on Howie Kendrick from a couple different perspectives. Like, Does his age just erase the fact that he does everything we want players to do with with batted ball types, at least he did a year ago.
1: You know, uh, just looking at uh, how much, uh, and I'm stealing this from you, I know it's yours on the rundown, but uh, just looking at how much the Bat-X, which is Derek Carty's uh, stat cast-based projections, love him in terms of projecting him for a 195 ISO, that's 20 points clear of anybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, that... Uh, that suggests that he kind of earned uh, most of what he got on the field last year in terms of his batted balls, and and um, I can believe it. Like you know, uh, better uh, mechanics plus uh, rabbit ball. Uh, you know, it's something I can believe in in terms of uh, late late career power surge. Uh, but uh, it occurs to me that we've one thing that we stopped doing because we're not sure that this will happen. Uh, but if there is a universal DH, I think the first time we kind of went through it, we kind of said that like somebody like Ryan Zimmerman um, might uh, benefit. But in fact, like looking at this uh, depth chart, as I see it right now, um, I could see Howie Kendrick kind of eloping with a full time job if there's a DH. I
0: love that. Um. I mean, because Thames and Zimmerman platoon at first, Starling yeah. Castro at second, Key Boom, as Cabrera at third. The others are kind of your backup infielder, Trey Turner's your everyday shortstop. Your outfield's pretty locked in with Soto, Robles, and Eaton. And Taylor is fourth. And Taylor's your clear. Fourth and Taylor's not. And Taylor's
1: more of a defensive uh, uh, boon. So you you're not itching to put Taylor in the lineup.
0: Yeah. Um, so I I would I would agree that you know the universal DH which I keep assuming it's going to happen, but we we don't know for
1: sure. Like that'd be the last thing. It, yeah, it'd be predicated on them reshuffling the divisions for less travel um you know, which you'd think would be important. That's another thing, man. These guys, you know, other people are saying, "Oh, oh man, the you know, everybody's taking a pay cut, the players should too." Hey, does your job force you to get go to the office? to contact with other people, use the same showers, and then get into a metal tube with them? No, my job has not asked me to do any of those things. So I guess I'm okay with my pay cut. Yeah. Uh, our, our jobs have
0: not even... <laughs> they've done nothing like that at all. They've done the exactly. exact opposite. <laughs> so yes, there's a major difference. And everybody out there, I mean, a lot of people out there are probably in similar boats to the one we're in where offices are very slowly opening up. I know there are exceptions out there and there are some people who have to make that difficult choice to go back and and take on that health risk and that's it's a horrible position to be in. Like I feel
1: terrible for anybody who's in and that. And in the context situation. of a full year, they're going to make like 30% of their salary. So come on.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know that nonsense. All right, so we're in on Howie Kendrick, especially as a guy who sheesh, man, he's like a barely a top 300 guy in ADP. Like that's that's absurd how cheap he is. I think I'd love to have him on my bench. Yeah, mixed mixed league bench guy. Like 12-team mixer
1: even? Oh, it gets a little tough. Let's see where he's eligible. First and second to start the year. If you have a 10-team league, uh, 10, 10 games, um, uh, then third base. That's kind of nice to get that extra boost too, yeah. I didn't know he played 15 games at third base last year. He had 99 innings at third base last year. I didn't realize that either. Every every
0: league I play in is at least fifteen. I think Tout Wars is the only one that goes down to fifteen. Most of them
1: are twenty. So well, he was those... he was fifteen games at third, ten started. So there's probably some leagues where he's third base. But in any case, first and second is decent, actually. Man, that's C.I.M.I. And we've talked about you know being able to toggle a guy between C.I.M.I. So you got a guy on your bench that can be C.I.M.I. Yeah, I think he's
0: actually twelve team viable with universal DH. Without it. I don't think you can quite make that cut every week, but there'd be some weeks where you would play him because someone's oh, hurt. Oh, weekly Schedule's good.
1: It, but weekly is just going to be such a mess this year, man.
0: At least I think the schedule... Uh, I'm making an assumption that I probably shouldn't make, but I'll make it anyway. I keep thinking that the reconfigured schedule for this season, like if it is 10-team divisions, you've got nine teams in division, you play everybody home and away for a three-game series, it's 54 games, like that's one way this could all work six games per week for every team over each week simple schedules right there's not a this team has seven games and this team has five like i that's one of the things i hate oh. about weekly leagues is the imbalanced schedule
1: yeah i think with a 54 game schedule you said was that you that said that like 54 games is basically everyone gets a home and away with with everybody in their division
0: yeah yeah i think that's that's just too logical
1: which probably sets up for a fairly easy schedule to, to put together. Yeah.
0: I mean, you could probably do that in Excel in less than an hour.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so let's go from an old player with the Nats to a young player who, who I've talked about a lot, who probably, I don't know, I, there's probably some sort of like surveillance on me because I've pulled up his pages so often, uh, Victor Robles. And I've been wondering if... Young players, any player though, but young players in particular can sort of get to their power potential in a backward sort of way where they don't hit the ball hard all the time right away, but they hit the ball at the optimal or near optimal launch angle range, right? So something like sweet spot percentage and average launch angle. You can look at things like that and kind of get an idea like, okay, there's, there's good max EV, there's a good launch angle here. If he just hits the ball hard with more consistency, he'll unlock that power later. Is that a is that a path that a player can actually take to becoming a twenty or twenty five or even a thirty home run guy in the long run? Um, so with Victor Robles, you know, I wrote a, wrote about him and, and put together a presentation for PitchCon, and it's a lot of blue ink for how he hits the ball right now. But he's such a young player, it seems pretty risky to assume that he's just what we've seen in the last year and change and nothing more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and he reminds me actually a little of this conversation about Fernando Tatis, where you've got some evidence that he's doing the right things and then a little bit of evidence of him doing the wrong things, and you have to kind of uh, choose which is more important, right? Um, and so, if you look at his max EV, like 110, 111, 110.5, it, it's, it's, it's decent. I mean, um, You know, if you wanted to put him in a comp with um, someone like a Jeff McNeil or, or, or a lighter hitting guy, um, uh, you'd be wrong because he's three, four more miles of max exit velocity than Jeff McNeil. He's more than all the veterans. He, he had a higher exit max exit velocity last year than Mookie Betts.
0: Yeah, and, and Nolan Arenado and Max Muncy, like guys that
1: hit the ball hard and hit a lot of home runs. So, uh, and then uh, there's more evidence than that because that's just uh, like one ball evidence, but it's still really important. It's about the most important one ball evidence you can have other than sort of max pitch velocity. Um, But then the other thing that was really cool um, was uh, Jeff Zimmerman put together hard hit um, angle uh, as a concept. And it is, I've actually had a conversation with a team analyst. It's really hard to get anything out of them. Most of the time, they just uh, like, don't respond at a key moment, and you know you've got something. <laughs> <laughs> the silence tells you something. But I was uh, I was trying to get batted ball comps for somebody um, coming over from uh, the KBO, and so I was talking to a source about um, who, who is it? Who is a high profile? Oh, uh, Tsutsugo, coming over from NPB. Yoshitomo Tsutsugo, right? Yeah, and we're yeah, talking about his bat the ball. Yeah, yeah. I was asking like, what what kind of exit velocity numbers do you have? And he's like, well, we have like a proprietary number. I can't can't just tell you what his average EV is. I don't know. I've got this proprietary number. And so we're like, kind of talking back and forth. And I was like, oh, so basically it's like when he hits the ball hard, like what are the angles he hits it in? What are the, what are his hard hit angles? Like, and he's like. Yeah, you could say that, you know, he didn't give me everything, but he kind of put me, I was on the right track. And then, you know, talking to Andrew Perpetua, who has worked for teams before, uh, or for the Mets before, um, he's always sort of pointed out that there's a kind of a parabola where hitters uh, kind of focus their hard hit balls. And those can be fairly different. They can kind of, they can vary. Um, and so Zimmerman kind of uh, finally put that into a number and he's basically takes their hardest hit balls and takes the average launch angle of those hardest hit balls. And um, it's a, like a little bit of a like a backwards thing than barrel. You know, it's like kind of barrel-esque, uh, in a, but it's not asking how often do they hit barrels. It's when they hit the ball hard, where do they hit it? Um, and so for that one, Victor Robles has a 15.5-degree launch angle on his hardest-hit balls. And uh, here are his comps uh, that are just, just around him in, 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 with respect to that. Um, he's right there with uh, Will Myers, Josh Harrison, Ozzie Albies, uh, Jeff McNeil again, um, but also uh, above Keston Hura, uh, Ronald Cunha Jr., um, Clint Frazier, Mookie Betts, Kyle Schwarber. So he has a he has a good launch angle, a fifteen point five degree launch angle, fifteen point five degree launch angle on his on his hardest hit balls. He has a uh, his hardest hit ball is one eleven, and that takes him out of being a comp with Jeff McNeil. And in fact, his best comp is Ozzie Albie's. It makes sense
0: to me just from a. A common sense standpoint of guys that got to the big leagues really young, who are still Mm -hmm. physically growing, who have outstanding tools and are just kind of putting the finishing touches on them as they begin their big league careers. Like that, that just fits. Those two guys can be similar in in that way. And yeah, I, I guess without having the ability to process data the way someone that Jeff Zimmerman does. I was trying to find some other simple indicator, not even an answer, but just a flag like, hey, wait, look at this guy more closely. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, this this thing, this tendency when leaderboards are sorted by barrels or when you sort them by just average exit velocity overall or when player pages use average exit velocity and you see blue ink all over them, that shapes your perception of a player. Even if you understand more about those numbers and how valuable or how not valuable they really are than most people, I still think psychologically something's happening there when you're looking at those pages and, and seeing that it, it's just it's casting a player in a a negative light, and the the market, the ADPs, the auction values will start to kind of homogenize around players that have a lot of red ink and players that have a lot of blue ink. And Robles, because he steals bases, of course, gets some lift anyway, despite his flaws, but he became polarizing player. and Again, I'm just obsessed with him because I think looking at him and what he's done so far and saying he can't hit just seems very foolish to me. I think that would be drawing a conclusion that has so many ways to be proven wrong in the very near future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just look at the bad X again. It's funny. The bad X has the highest ISO for any projection system for Robles. So the stackas data is not negative on Robles. Yes. There's a low average exit velocity, but that's related to bunts and these mishit balls. And we've talked about how, uh, that's not always the best measure for a player because of, um, Distributions can be important. This is exactly why distributions are important, Victor Robles. I would say if we wanted to, you know, say something that was testable, I would say that his, uh, his, like a full season pace for homers for him would be over twenty this year. There's a clear demarcation between projection systems there and between value. Like if you if the if a guy can't manage twenty home runs in these days, he's more of a empty steals only guy. But if he can manage twenty homers. With 30 stolen bases, um, that's a well-rounded guy. I think way
0: back in the fall, at the end of last season, we talked about some players who might be able to move up to much more prominent spots in the order. I know Britt Garoli, covers the Nationals for The Athletic, had a, a tweet, maybe even a story back in March about the Nats tinkering with Robles at the top of the order. They kind of moved away from that quickly. But there's one great hitter missing from that lineup this season. Anthony Rendon's gone. I think it's easier this year for Robles to move up and stay up in the order than it was a year ago. Uh, Experience also helps, of course, but just not having Rendon there. If if one guy goes missing, you start looking around like who in this lineup, who among the players on this depth chart has the best chance of actually becoming a top of the order or hard of the order hitter. If you're looking at Robles versus the Thames Erbman platoon, the catchers like Gomes and Suzuki. Starlin Castro will be kind of just a solid accumulator, probably already in the middle third. Carter Keyboom, like I think Robles is a better prospect than Keyboom, so I, I like
1: Yeah,
0: I just I like Robles better yeah. than the three or four alternatives to move up if something happens to Eaton or Turner or somebody else or Soto. You know, like if one of those guys gets hurt, I think Robles is most likely to take on a more prominent role.
1: Yeah, I think the the people uh, in between him and a, a top four, top five type um, spot in the batting order are Howie Kendrick and Adam Eaton, both uh, oft injured veterans uh, that could also uh, fall off player uh, uh, production wise because of, of their age. Uh, so it's really not that hard of a bet. So we're we're, we're Robles fans.
0: Yes, and I hope this is the last time I talk about them until games are played, but I can't mm-hmm. promise anything to anyone ever. I just can't do it.
1: Let's, uh, one, uh, let's uh, do a spotlight on depth. Uh, even the last uh, proposal I saw said 29-man roster, so we're going to have a little bit more depth than usual um, going into the season. And for me, the best benefit other than Kendrick at DH would be Austin Voth making... The roster. Um, we've had a couple Austin Voth fans on the roster at at uh, the Athletic. Um, it's not that he has uh, amazing stuff. He has basically league average stuff numbers. It's that he has really good command um, and numbers that line up with someone like Luke Weaver. Um, and he does so on the back of. Uh, you know, two legitimate secondary pitches uh, and a fastball, though it doesn't go very fast, that has a good uh, movement pro- profile. So uh, I like Austin Voth. And I think he could take Joe Ross's job, especially if they're both on the roster for a little bit. And uh, I think it could take like two turns to the rotation, even if Ross starts out as a number five.
0: In both of those guys, Voth and Ross, in 12-team mixers, pretty much going undrafted, 15s. You're talking about one of your last picks if you are going to take... I would a take Voth
1: and a 12-teamer as my final pitcher, and I would take him over Ross. Really? you take him at a 12 and over Ross? That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I had Voth, I guess, 122 in my last ranks. Um, no, that can't be my last one. Let me see what I... I had him 114. Um, okay, so 12 teams pushing it. I think I might push him up to uh, about 100. I guess you could choose between someone like Michael Fulmer, Kyle Wright, and Austin Voth as your final pitcher.
0: Yeah, that that probably makes sense. And Fulmer, definitely one of those guys who was nowhere on my radar in February and March. At least he's a, a consideration now with more time to make his way back from injury. Um, the other the other random name I don't have to go in detail here because I know that our, our buddy Nano defino absolutely uh loves this guy is it is based on looking at the outfield depth chart for the nats and not seeing a lot of names there um uh, they have this outfielder yadiel hernandez who's just been in their minor league system and I don't think he's really like a prospect at all or anything I just think he's one of those players that is
1: completely because he's 32 right yeah he's, he's old but like he, but he could be kind of like a guriel type in houston where he just comes in and plays because they don't need to protect his uh numbers or his his service time you know yeah i mean he hit 33
0: homers in the international league last year with good plate skills and again he's old but
1: I and even his projections for league average bat you know the, the, he, he might make it as an extra player if uh depending on how large the rosters are Full credit to Nando,
0: though, on Yadiel Hernandez. I was nowhere near him until he brought him up. I think he even traded for him in our OOTP sim uh, Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Smelling good is important, and thanks to Hawthorne, smelling good is easier than ever. It's time to move on from that old bottle of cologne that you've had since high school. It's time to start taking care of your hair and your skin. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the products that are best for you, including two colognes, one for work and one for play. Yeah, you can platoon your colognes now along with a full complement of shampoo, (laughs) conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and lotions that smell great and are free of sulfate, silicone, and aluminum. All of Hawthorne's products are cruelty-free as well. You can even take the quiz for someone else to find the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E dot .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. And uh, yes, I still smell good, I like like peppermints and uh, other very natural things. So I, I appreciate what Hawthorne is uh, doing. Uh, let's move on to the Braves. Uh, I've had some interesting conversations with uh, Nick Pollock probably in the last couple of weeks. Once during PitchCon and once on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. And he's kind of come forward as a, a Max Freed skeptic. And I think for me, what it comes down to is the career best walk rate last season. 6.7%, 2.55%. Uh, walks per nine, if you prefer that, uh, it's the lowest he's ever had at any level. And this is a guy that has weapons. He's definitely got interesting stuff. Do you think that leap forward we saw with control is actually where we can kind of set the baseline for walks with freed going forward?
1: No, I don't. And that's actually the base of my skepticism, uh, for the pitcher as well. He has the same command plus as Lucas G who I've said, um, will should have a walk rate, you know, above three five or so, uh, at least if not higher. Uh, the projections for free do capture that, um, you know, kind of averaging out at sort of a three two type walk rate. But uh, you just look up and down uh, at his just his walk rates um, in the minor leagues, and uh, they started with a four or a five more often than they started with a three. So uh, that's, that's the part. Um, and yes, I do think that he can maybe command the slider uh, that he added in late in the season a little bit better than some of his other pitches. But that still means that uh, he is slightly below average command on uh, his fastball and his curveball. So at Price, I am assuming that you
0: are just letting somebody else draft him. Because there, there's somebody in every room who likes Max Freed. Again, there are reasons to like him, but if you're talking about someone who goes in that 125 to 150 range, ADP since May 1st, sitting around 140, there's so many other ways you can go with that pick.
1: Um, Give me like uh, Urias. What's his?
0: Yeah. Uh, is he still in that range? He's still cheaper than Lizardo. Uh Urias is, yeah, 130. Yeah, so you'd be looking at those two guys around What's the same three? time. 139, so same round.
1: All right, so let's say Urius is gone. Uh, we could play some Would You Rather. I've got Max Fried, uh, Round Urquity, Chirinos, McCullers, Those guys Lin.
0: all go later, except for maybe Lynn goes a little earlier, but everybody else you just mentioned goes later.
1: I have them near each other, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're of a different tier. So if... On my board, I saw Freed, uh, you know, Cheerinos, Urquity, McCullers, and uh, like a Weaver or something. Um, I would feel like there's plenty of pitching left on the board. That's that's often what. That's often the question I have. Like I want to take bats, and then I look at the available pitchers. And I, do I, I say, do I feel comfortable with how much pitching is left in, in yes, a tier or in this group? Um, and if I saw all those guys available, I would not feel the need to jump at Max Fried. Right. And so for hitters, I mean, you're
0: looking at, if you're looking for some speed, maybe Elvis Andrews. There's a chance that Corey Seeger's still there in that range. Jorge Polanco... Uh, Max Kepler
1: goes in that range. There's a Byron lot of Buxton. need need type bat picks, right? Where you're like, kind of need 20 steals and a middle infielder. Yeah. Andrews. Yeah. yeah. If you need
0: speed, there's a lot of speed guys there. If you want to just a stable veteran, I mean, Justin Turner goes a little later than that. You could go there if you needed to. Uh, I just think there's enough other interesting players in that same range. I kind of miss him simply because of that. Uh, let's go young and old with this team as well i was kind of looking around after looking closely again at what howie kendrick did last year i started to say who could be the next howie kendrick the old kind of boring veteran who does a lot of things well and maybe just needs a little increase in playing time and i landed on nick markakis um 29th (laughs) in max exit velocity last season 30th in average exit velocity last season 128th in sweet spot percentage. He's had a double-digit walk percentage in five straight years, under 15% K rate. He's kind of also on that list of players who could win with the universal DH. I mean, if it's not Austin Riley, Johan Camargo having two spots instead of one to share, Marcus playing a little bit more is definitely in the range of outcomes. But for a that hits the ball as hard as he does, why is he not getting better results?
1: Uh, I've got an answer for you because, uh, and I can do it in in the shape of our new tool, our new fun new tool, hard hit launch angle. Yes, Nick Markakis's hard hit launch angle is five point one. That his and his max exit velocity is one fifteen, which is pretty good. Uh, But if you want to put him in a comp box, the best comps are Josh Naylor and Eric Hosmer. Oh. So congratulations, you found another Eric Hosmer. Well, that's... Well, it's, but, okay, so again... Yeah, it's not bad, I mean, for price, you know? For, for price, well, the, <laughs> If but, he's playing... Right, Hosmer's an accumulator, he gets the
0: time, and right. doesn't have that locked in, but this is a, a little bit of the opposite of the Robles thing, where you look at the player page and you're like, wow, there's red ink everywhere. XBA is good, K percentage is good, exit velocity, hard hit, X will, but all good, all red. But there's a flaw, like he's, he's not doing damage when he hits the ball hard because it's just not there. The launch angle's not there with the hard contact. Could that change, I think, is is probably the next logical question. That you get to that age, sure. It's, it's kind of hard to expect it, but I mean, Howie Kendrick, I, I kind of wonder if you look year by year, he wasn't always hitting the ball the way he was last year. So I don't know. Maybe in a Lloyd Christmas sort of way, I'm saying... Despite the Eric Hosmer similarities, maybe just maybe there is a chance. I'll give you NL only. Okay. Well, hey, you know what? That's that that (laughs) that's the type of league where I had Kendrick last year, and it pays off in a huge way. And yeah, it was huge for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't show up today saying let's bring the fart gone out and draft Nick Markakis in 12 team mixers. That, that's not where I was going. It was kind of like, Hey, we weren't really excited about Howie Kendrick this time last year and look what he did. And Nick Markakis does a few things kind of similar and who knows, maybe he could actually put it together.
1: Yeah. I wonder, I wonder Adam Duvall is a big uh, person in his way. And, um, uh, and Duvall has the gaudy home run totals in a couple of years, but like, 292 OBP for his career and a you know 6% less worse than league average with a stick does not mean that you necessarily are rushing to get him in there. Um, so somewhere between Duvall, Marquez, and Yonder Alonso, they're probably going to get a DH. Yikes. <laughs> they they uh,
0: maybe weren't as prepared.
1: The other one we were talking about was Riley. I, I mean,
0: I really think that's what they want is just to have Riley playing a lot more and, and maybe he plays some defense and they rotate different people into that spot. Occasionally Marcelo Zuna does it and Riley plays left field, but ultimately Riley's playing time floor, like he probably gets the bump first and whether or not he can yeah. adjust. Even from if last year that determines whether or not he keeps that role.
1: Yeah. I think Marquez and Duvall and yonder are basically the bench guys. If you're going to build a starting lineup for most days. They might be fairly used, fairly often used, but I don't see, other than maybe Enciarte, maybe be in a platoon. So on days, the Enciarte is against lefties. Acuna plays um, center, and you get Duval in the outfield. Yeah. Or Charlie Culberston, I guess.
0: That could be the other hmm. deep... Bench option, but uh, Danzig Swanson I, part two. i I just don't see a lot of value in the the depths of their position player groups. Um, I, no. I do I do think their their pitching depth continues to be interesting.
1: Someone's gonna pop. You know, my picks are, are Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson, and I I have a hard time picking between the two. But Kyle Wright's stuff is a little bit ahead. Bryce Wilson's command is a little bit ahead. I think I am picking Kyle Wright.
0: I just threw draft and hold darts and reserve darts at both of those guys. I mm-hmm. just hoping that I have the right one where I need him. because um, I think there is still plenty to like with with both and the other kind of random thing too. I mean, Sean Newcomb, man, I I still think he's a reliever in the long run, but. Mm-hmm. I don't want to write him off just yet either, and it doesn't cost much to find out if he's unlocked something. His ADP since May first outside the top five hundred.
1: Yeah, I mean the darts you throw are darts you can't throw on other people, so you can't can't collect too many that you you have to you have to make some choices. I have Newcomb all the way down at one fifty. Uh, I could see pushing him some, but. Uh, you know, like I have Voth like forty points out of him, hmm. forty ranks out of him.
0: All right. Well, hey, I, I think that's another endorsement
1: for for Austin Voth. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. But uh, uh, but I have Wright uh, near Voth. That's what I said earlier. Yeah, there's just like a like I I think I'm I firmly believe that there's like a, a a basic level of command that you need to have to be a starter. I mean, if you think about it, just think about the wildest relievers you can think of and then think about the wildest stars you can think of it like Tyler Chatwood you know he was so wild he could not be a starter it's pain he was having a nice spring though I I don't know if it means a whole lot but
0: it was at least uh, a step back in the right direction for him Uh, let's move on to the Mets I have had a lot of time to reflect on this and right up and greet the Mets yeah yeah (laughs) I, I I love I love Mr. Matt even though I yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't have a lot of things I love about that franchise, but God, Mr. Met's big, dumb, smiling baseball head is
1: like just, <laughs> it's great. It it, it brings it,
0: you know how when you see a golden retriever and they always look happy, it, it like makes you happy? Like that at least it makes me happy. That that's how, <laughs> Mr. Met is like the mascot equivalent of a golden retriever. Like I, I just I, I see it. uh, There's the whole like Mrs.
1: Met backstory and stuff. I mean, it's just great.
0: (laughs) Uh, A power couple on the level of Pac-Man and and Miss Pac-Man. This team has an
1: obvious winner if there's a DH.
0: Is it Robinson Cano? No. Well, I mean JD Davis
1: really, but like Robinson. No, it's Dominic Smith. Is it? Is it Dom Smith? It's Dom Smith because JD Davis is in the starting lineup somewhere.
0: The Mets have too
1: much talent. What what world is this? <laughs> it's a weird. It's a weird kind of. It's like an ill-fitting too much talent. It's like they've got you know four or five good outfielders, but no nobody you'd really want to stick in center, other than their backup, really light on a stick, just implicated in a cheating scandal. Backup righty outfielder. Oh yeah, Marisnyk. yeah, Jake Marisnick, yeah. And, and I've been running this team in, in my sim and we're always near 500 and it's because of pitching depth. There, are you know, Steven Gonzalez, uh, in my sim has like a 190 ERA and a ton of innings. Um, and is great as a kind of glue man. So I don't know that that turns into like a recommendation, uh, in any sort of format, but. I'm definitely gonna be watching what Steven Gonzalez does this year because a back end of Porcello Mats, Waka is a problem. Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, they're gonna to have to out hit their
0: pitching a lot of times. And and maybe they can. I mean, that's totally possible with the way they're built, because for for some of the defensive concerns they have and the pitching concerns they have, top to bottom, it's one of the best lineups in the National League if everybody is. is healthy.
1: It is. It's a good lineup. Cano you know you can slag on him all you want and yeah he was hurt and yeah he's 37 but like you know he was still pretty close to league average and could be again and for a second baseman that's no small feat and i think some of the the
0: injury risk in a shortened season goes away like we talked about earlier with howie kendrick i think that would also apply to robinson cano and they go at similar prices too i mean i i think there are still a lot of interesting skills there i would say that the Previous Jeff Zimmerman study that you mentioned on injury and age um, does not broadly like work in the favor of Robinson Cano. I mean, he's 37, no. and he's had a lot of soft tissue injuries. But at that price, you're getting a guy who is top 50 in average exit velocity, top 100 in max exit velocity, and he's going to hit, what, third, fourth in the lineup and play at least 80% of the time, maybe even 90% of the time?
1: Yeah. Uh, His hard hit angle is pretty low, um, which I think you can guess from not having the big power output. But, like, he's still hanging in there with uh, around Yandy Diaz with slightly less uh, exit velocity. Trey Turner, uh, he's a pretty good comp with Trey Turner. Uh, not Not far from Willie Calhoun. So, I don't know. I mean, he can still he can still hit the ball. I think I'd give him sort of 15 to 18 homers in a in a full season and a good batting average. Uh, but he's like maybe the worst hitter in this lineup now.
0: He could be, yeah.
1: Um, which
0: is more praise for the other guys in it than a shot at yeah. Cano directly. And uh, Pete Alonzo, I, I think we talked about him a while back and. I still don't have him on any teams at all. Keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, redraft leagues. I have zero Pete Alonzo on my fantasy baseball rosters. ADP from May 1st on, sitting right there at 31. So if you're in a 12-team league, it's like mid-round three. If you're in a 15-teamer, he's going at the round two, round three turn. I might be wrong about him. I might just be... Expecting too much of a crash, I might be seeing too much Reese Hoskins. I mean, the 139 WRC plus at AAA in 2018 was the worst WRC plus he's ever had at any level. He's just torn up every level of professional baseball he's played at. Uh, so, so is there a strong case against Pete Alonso that should keep me from changing my mind? Because I think I just thought the price was too high. He doesn't run, and maybe there was too much batting average downside for a guy who goes that high. And I might be wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the I think mostly like I was just looking at his hard hit um comps and basically the a perfect comp for him is Jordan Alvarez. Um but there is the question of of contact. I think that's the that's the only question. And you know, a 12.12% swing strike rate uh with um you know I guess slightly worse than average reach rates. Um, he probably has a contact problem, but you know there is that lower minor stuff that we've talked about before. Where it's like you know 18 percent strikeout rate. I mean, there, the projections look at his AAA strikeout rate being twenty five point nine and his major league one being twenty six point four, and basically say that's him, that's who he is. But if there is any give on that strikeout rate there is more to peter alonzo
0: and maybe there's i mean there's a 2 year difference in age nearly between peter alonzo and keston hira but if i'm going to look at keston hira and say yeah what he did in his debut strikeout rate rise probably isn't who he is as a player i you know probably need to afford that same that same application to alonzo triple a k rate spike same as hira you know the, there's still reason to believe he could get a little bit better. Like he hasn't been in the big leagues long enough where he could just say, this is it. This is who he is. And even if that is who he is, a 50 Homer guy in a full season drives in a ton of runs. It's a great player. So I I think I just got too hung up on a couple little things he didn't do as opposed to being totally on board with just how good of a power hitter he actually is.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, some of what I've heard out of you in terms of Alonzo, um, has been just like sort of snake draft analysis where he ends up being picked in the second round. Um, and the type of player he is where he's kind of one um in the second round, there are other guys um, like just, just hypothetically, I probably take Alonzo over Starling Marte, but just think about the type of player Starling Marte represents in the second round versus the type of player Pete Alonzo represents. I could see being like, I want a little bit more of a well-rounded um, skill set out of my second pick.
0: It probably matters a little bit less, though. So if you were drafting in the first three spots, you know, if you are choosing one of Yelich or Acuna, who you expect to get a good number of stolen bases from,
1: yes, then I mean, pair, you can
0: pair Alonzo with either of them. But if you went with Trout with one of those picks, going with Alonzo might not make as much sense because you're... Your first pick's not getting you much for steals, and you you don't want to keep pushing yourself further. And behind. also think
1: about like Alonzo ends up ends up going early in the second. So think about pairing him with a pitcher. Where let's say you go Max Scherzer and Pete Alonzo, like great, but you have no positional value, you have no steals, and so you've created a need for yourself already in the second round. So here's a You don't even a have good batting average. You know? so, so, would you you're rather kind of have... going to be chasing those other things. And those other things are the things that everybody wants. Batting average and stolen bases are scarce right now. So you just put yourself in a position where you have to chase the thing that everybody wants. I was trying to think of it this
0: way. If you were... Let's say you had the first pick, so you, you've got a lot of control over the situation. If you had Acuna with the first pick, would you rather go Acuna and then Alonzo would you rather start with Trout and then come back with Mondesi?
1: Acuna and Alonzo.
0: Okay. Any particular reason with the players involved? Is it Mondesi's shoulder or some of the things in his profile or something that you like yeah. better? on the other side? It's Alonzo it's, it's, it's Mondesi,
1: mostly. Okay. I mean, because that's the sort of, I don't know, high
0: risk, high reward. I don't know that I'd comp. pick
1: Acuna over Trout, but if I started with Acuna, I would rather... I think I'd rather that pairing. Okay. All right. I think that's
0: that's pretty interesting.
1: I think for me I'd
0: I'd rather have a Cunha and Alonzo. I I do think it's a little bit safer, um uh, which is weird. It, it it's because of the risk that Mondesi brings, not because of the lack of security from trout. Uh, I think trout's floor is pretty obvious at this point.
1: Um Okay, so in um, Bay Area Roto Fantasy, Barf, uh, the, the team I took over from Laura Michaels. Um, it's not a keeper league, but it's a, it was a spot in the league that I took over. I went Trout, Devers, Alvarez.
0: Did you punt steals, or did you just feel like you could get them later? I forget what your
1: plan was in that one. I got a bunch of 20 guys later. So um, for steals, I have Elvis Andrews, uh, Lorenzo Cain, Oscar Mercado, and Trent Grisham and Kevin Kiermaier on the bench. Okay. So I just figured, let me get like five 20 guys and uh, cycle them through when they're in good matchups and stuff. And I mean, I'm going to dominate. This is an OBP league too, so it's like, my first three guys might have like a 380 obp combined that would be a nice foundation be a really nice foundation we'll see we'll see if it works yeah you i mean you're definitely right to ask about steals but man what about a 50 game season <laughs> when steals like who's going to lead the league somebody with like 10 steals i, I don't know I, I,
0: Are teams that that are kind of in that middle of the pack going to be more aggressive because why not like just take take your chances try to try to maximize those opportunities even if there is some downside that comes with it i mean like if you if you think about how much teams obviously care about money and think about the postseason and the revenue generated from getting there maybe that opens things up a little bit as far as a few teams on the fringes being a lot more aggressive
1: yeah i hope we see some fun weirdness Because it will, uh, you know, every game will matter more. And, like, out of that piece where I was talking about the 50 game seasons, uh, the Giants made the postseason, like, five times out of 20. I was like, what? I I do think. I can't imagine a season where the Giants make the postseason this year. (laughs) I don't think they. Well, anything's
0: possible, though, in that shortened game. The Sims tell it's true. It's just. Even knowing remember how that, the Mariners, remember how the Mariners started last year? Yeah, yeah, we were t- we talked about them in one of the first episodes of the show. We're like, "Hey, what do we miss with the Mariners?" And turns out,
1: nothing. Um, <laughs> math, math uh, happened. Uh, we sometimes we can delight in other people's tragedy. Yeah, well,
0: if it's the Mariners, it's probably okay. <laughs> If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that you can use to connect with a doctor licensed license in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S.-licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, two teams to go. So uh, let's get to the Phillies. I really like Andrew McCutcheon this year. You know, he doesn't do anything really at his peak level anymore, but he just still does so many things very well. That extra time for his knee to heal can only really be a good thing. The stolen bases probably don't come back beyond a handful, but the plate discipline and the contact quality are still very good. And I really, I can't believe this, but he's outside the top 200 in the handful of drafts that we've seen since May 1st. Is there any reason to look at McCutcheon and say, yeah, no, don't draft him there. Cause he, this looks like one of the, the core sort of obvious bounce back players of the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the only thing I've got is Jeff Zimmerman's piece on like the fact that he's 33 and the projected bounce backs become less reliable. Uh, once the player turns 32, but you know, uh, there's something about, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's like, Oh, look, you know, season after season after season after season of 155 plus games, you know? And, you know, don't you think he can get back to that? Don't you think he's a really good athlete that's shown well-rounded skills on the base paths and, you know, every facet of the game, basically? And uh, don't you think he can get back to that? But then there's also players where they play every single game for years and years and years, and then they just fall apart. Yeah, the cumulative wear and tear
0: sometimes catches up, so I, I could definitely see where that concern comes from. But we're talking about just a, a devastating kind of random injury with an ACL tear. I mean, maybe that leads to more of the chronic soft tissue things that He's do creep more, up on
1: players. More time to, to get back from that.
0: Yeah, I, I just think that's where a lot of my optimism rests on him. So it wasn't anything in particular that, that caught my eye other than the ADP, I just think. Why not at that price? I think he could be fine, even in like a 10-team mixed league. I think Andrew McCutcheon a perfectly fine option uh, for the outfield. Uh, I landed on this. I thought it was a gem. Maybe it's terrible. Uh, if you had to draft a Phillies pitcher at their current average draft position, who would you actually want to take? And I, I put him in the rundown, but Nola, 66. Hector Neris at 123. Zach Wheeler at 126. Spencer Howard's crept up a bit. I think the expectation is that he has a role right away in a shortened season and sticks in the rotation potentially all year. He's up at 276 now. And then you can get your choice of Eflin, Arietta, Pavetta uh, after pick 500 if you want to just go end game and, and dodge those early guys. But um, I, I wasn't feeling Nola at that price at all. And i'm I'm kind of torn between the the next three. I think Neris, Wheeler and Howard are all interesting for different reasons, but none of those three guys are necessarily must roster players uh, because at, you know, with Howard, there's still some performance risk, even though the talent is very intriguing.
1: Yeah, I have Nola at sixteen. Uh, so I feel like sixty six is probably buying Nola at price, right. Yeah, I 16th think that's, best that's in pitcher. The range. You're talking about
0: third he's, round? He's 21 among all pitchers. That's with Hayter ahead
1: of him. So 20th among starters in ADP. I might take Nola. Uh, the, uh, the the real answer that I should give is Wheeler because Wheeler is my 30th ranked pitcher. And you're giving me another 60. Right? Mm hmm. So it, it probably should be Wheeler. Um, I'm just nervous that. You know, last year was what we were going to see out of Wheeler. Like, I had a conversation with him in, in spring training, which seems so long ago. Spring training won. Um, it was one of the last conversations I had with a pitcher. last three pitchers I talked to were Wheeler, Velasquez, and Boyder. Um and uh, he basically, I said, you know, I'm sure you've heard, like, throw the high fastball more often, throw the four-seamer more often. Um, you know, how, how long does it take you to get command of a pitch um, uh, to a new area of the lo- like, of the zone? Like, if if you hadn't been throwing to high in the zone for very much and then some pitching coach was like, hey, let's throw high in the zone, how long would it take you? He's like, three bullpens. So he suggested to me that he's heard the thing about high force seamers and either the best either this is his best command <laughs> You know, like this is what he considers good command of the High Force Seamer. Um I'm I don't know. I'm just worried that like I'd rather he'd stayed in in New York. If I'm talking about like pitching coaches and pitching development programs and stuff, I almost think I would also rather he stayed with Jeremy Mumphrey. I'm not. I'm just not sure the, the the guy that they've got, I think now in Philadelphia, was the same guy who told Eflin to go back to the two-seamer, and everyone says that Eflin did really well when he went back to the two-seamer, but his strikeout minus walk rate tumbled completely, uh, which is more indicative of, of his true talent as a pitcher than you know his other outcomes. So I'm afraid that they're going to tell Wheeler to throw a sinker a lot in Philadelphia. I'm not sure that's the right idea. Yeah, that would be disappointing. Uh, I do like Wheeler quite a bit. I think of the group,
0: I've warmed up to Neris as a closer who I really trust. So I mm. think Neris is in that, that range where I'm, I might be looking for that first closer. I'd be willing to take him at that price. I think of those three...
1: He's the guy I like the most at this point. I have probably more shares of Neris than anybody. Maybe Neris and Nola because Nola have like in keeper leagues and stuff uh, because I I liked him from the beginning. But um, Neris ends up being one of the last, like just like you said. What did you say? One of the last closer ones, basically.
0: Yeah, like the yeah the last closer one that you feel like is is worth that that premium, yeah. of a couple of rounds over the pack, over like ahead of the Hansel Robles type guys that you might like as a, a viable too
1: yeah I definitely have naris as uh my closer one in a couple situations because of that where he where he shows up in the in the snake rank, snake drafts and stuff like that so maybe my answer is naris I guess I don't know well naris and Nola naris and
0: Nola all right fair enough and and again howard at the price there's nothing wrong with him but there's other guys that you can be excited about in that same range too who kind of fit a similar profile.
1: Let's- I can see Howard also starting on the taxi squad and depending on which way the Phillies go either coming up soon or never coming up the whole season. Oh, that could be a rough couple of weeks to have to sweat that out. Isn't that what's going to happen with taxi squad people? They're going to be like with ones that are close. They're going to be like, we're going to know in two weeks whether or not we have a chance of the season at all. It's 14 games. You just start out poorly and be like, ah, sorry, dude, you're not going to play in the big leagues this year, basically. We don't wanna, we're don't want to. we just hunting this year. You've yeah, got to see how all the service
0: time rules are going to be applied to various parts of the roster, I guess, too.
1: Yeah, that too.
0: Let's close it out with the Marlins.
1: Yeah, ugh, sorry.
0: Just a visceral reaction. Always. Like they're, but there's such an interesting test case and prospects who get to the big leagues and then struggle. They have that. They have lots of that. Isan Diaz, Lewis Brinson.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of that Bill Petty piece that suggested that, um, extreme parks are not amazing for, for player development or for, for winning. Uh, just imagine you're, it's like when the San Diego used to be extreme pitchers park and their top, you know, when Rizzo went through El Paso, imagine being in El Paso and you're like, every fly ball I hit is a home run. And then you get to San Diego and you're like, every fly ball I hit is a can of corn. Yeah. That would not be great. I have a feeling that there's something to that with uh Florida too. Just hard to get on a roll. Also, I was talking to a friend in the game that was sure that um once we do uh, come to some sort of agreement, one of the first things that'll happen is all the punting teams will just like cut anybody making any money this year, even like arbitration guys. Like they listed uh, Jonathan VR and like also like even someone like Matt Boyd maybe. Wow, like
0: that that much of an extreme salary dump because there's gonna be is there gonna be a little bit of protection for teams to do that?
1: Well, think about it. I feel like um, you know in arbitration the the rule is that like you get X amount and then you're not guaranteed the whole thing. So if they cut them, then they only have to pay uh, like a month of salary or something. I, I should know Termination the CBA pay. like the back of my hand. It's the dumbest document in the history of man. Um, but, um, you know, they don't have to pay the whole season salary. And um, if they feel like they're out of it, then they won't, they won't feel like they need to build towards anything. And nobody will think it's a – and then on top of that, nobody might trade. So like you want to hold Boyd because you want to trade him, but – no, Maybe no one's going to give you anything in this season for Mad Boyd.
0: Boyd should be tradable. I could see I a mean, big VR when you think about what happened to him this winter and even Jesus Aguilar. Like, I could see
1: those guys being just outright dropped. And, and especially because the Marlins have worse financial straits than any other team in baseball. They're the one team that showed up as like losing money in a normal season. Yeah. yeah on I, Forbes. The appeal of,
0: of VR to most other teams, you know, at, at the price too currently is – next to zero. So it's an interesting thing to think about because I think what they're gonna to want to do is they're gonna say, hey, well, let's take the limited games we have and let's let's let Lewis Brinson play. Let's figure out if there's anything here for us in the future other than maybe a fourth outfielder. You know, I think you you have to start answering those questions in the limited MLB games you have, limited innings, limited at bats. Like you have to use that as your only Real source of a player development with games in the next three to four months.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would see that. I would see this be this will turn into last chance saloon. Lewis Brinson in center, Monty Harrison in right, uh, Garrett. Well, I guess they have to play Corey Dickerson because they actually paid him a real contract. Diaz, Isan Diaz gets all year. I guess the, I think they could drop VR Cooper at first.
0: Yeah, and they, and they could go next maybe wave with Lewin a few young players like yeah, Louen Diaz was the guy that kind of came to mind. It's like if you if you kind of just feel like you know what Garrett Cooper is, maybe he's not a cut, but you're also not prioritizing playing him every day because you want to give those those starts to somebody else.
1: Man, they're gonna he's gonna they're gonna cut somebody like Adam Conley makes 1.5 million dollars i bet you they cut him
0: i mean somebody some other team will scoop up some of these guys like at reduced salaries which sucks for those players Mm -hmm. it's just that at their at their current price vr especially like that that's that's the driving factor
1: because he could he could but then he will end up on some team where he's the he's the definitive backup utility guy
0: right super utility guy on a good team but he might not get as many green lights either, and that's part of it too. Some of those good teams don't want to run as much, so
1: just a massive reduction in player time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that really sucks. Uh, as you look at this roster and think about the pieces falling off, and you know, you mentioned Monty Harrison, I I'm still really intrigued by Harrison. Uh, he hasn't had that opportunity yet in the big leagues. We saw the speed on display at AAA. I think as an end game deep mixed league option, obviously NL only, is playable there too. I like him quite a bit. There's, there's developing power. He draws some walks too. Hit Tool might be a little bit behind, but I think there's more to like than to dislike in Monty Harrison's profile right now.
1: I mean, it's the type of player that would turn me off in the past with those just massive K rates in the minor leagues. But also some opportunity for arbitrage and some buy low ness to him are people like super excited about him what's he no he's
0: basically free in mixed league drafts like there's there's not a lot of interest in him at all
1: he's not a top 100 on fan graphs
0: no you could probably get him pretty cheap and keep her in dynasty league trades too
1: in those cases I'd take a shot at least you'll know fairly soon if you've got anything yeah lots of ways that it could go right.
0: But, uh, yeah, as always, the last team we cover in the division, not as much uh, interesting stuff going on there. And it could just be gross if they end up cutting some veterans here.
1: Yeah. And it, uh, you know, for all their talk of like, oh, they have some interesting pitchers, like the sixth pitcher is Eliseo Hernandez. Um, I don't see Sixto Sanchez uh, playing in the big leagues this year. Um and so you know Jose Irenia has a good sinker and I I still think he could be a really great closer um, and that might be his second uh, coming I think uh, that's what I that's where I anticipate him ending up long term um, Yamamoto has a pretty low ceiling Caleb uh, Smith I think has some issues uh, especially with the the health profile the fact that he's 28 already. Uh, and then he was down to 91.6 last year. Uh, if he's at 94, I'm I'm interested again, but at 91.6 uh, miles per hour, I'm not so sure. I love Caleb Smith. So, it kind of all comes down to like the only guy that I'm really rostering. I, I like Brian Anderson, very very high floor. I've got some shares of Brian Anderson and then uh I got some shares of Sandy Sandy Alcontra. Is it Alcantara? Contra. I think that is correct. All right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a messy team. I think James Rawson being the new hitting coach maybe gives me a little extra nudge of optimism too. I, I feel the the presence of Nando Defino uh, as I talk about the Marlins too. I think he <laughs> he likes to see the the upside, the the bright side, the the, pot, the potential things that could go right as it pertains
1: to the young players in this team. Plenty of playing time there, especially if they do these these wholesale cuts. So. You know, uh, Jesus Sanchez, maybe not that far off. Yeah, I,
0: I think in deeper leagues, he could be pretty interesting.
1: Maybe Bertie is like an actual, like almost playable utility guy if VR is gone, right? He would go from a
0: guy that I don't draft anywhere to a guy that I would at least think about very late. Deep
1: leagues, late, steals, you know. Um, uh, and then there's all the, all the guys that, uh, have some upside like Brinson and, and Harrison. Um, you know, I think maybe there's a chance that Alfaro even has one more, one more year at 27 years old. Um, he could have a season where he hits 280 with, you know, 25 homer type power.
0: Yeah. He's got, uh, tools. He always has had them. It's just a question of how much he can reduce the swing and miss and. The last push, I guess, to see if that's actually a possibility is this year. Not that he won't get playing time in the future, but if it doesn't happen now, it's probably never going to happen as far as Jorge Faro unlocking that next level. If you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate everybody who's done that. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can support the site with a paid subscription and get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels uh, we got one more division to go as we uh, close out this series on Thursday. If you got questions for us, we'll start opening up the mailbag again soon at theathletic.com. You can also tweet at us. He's at InoSaris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on
1: Thursday. Thanks for listening.